All right, you're welcome to grab a seat as we continue in worship. Uh, and for those of you that love chit-chatting and getting to know one another, I love that. We have an opportunity to do so uh, downstairs immediately after the service. Uh, so please join us uh, in that. Uh, for those of you that are new, uh, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here. Uh, and again, if you are new, I would love to, love to meet you at the end of the service and the connect area that we have, uh, just to introduce myself and to, and to know you and who you are. And so uh, we continue <coughs> in this season of Lent uh, in a sermon series called Seasons. And I love this series because uh, it's really preparing us for this Easter celebration. Uh, but before this Easter celebration, uh, Lent is a season historically in the church where we prepare ourselves on uh, receiving and entering into and, and learning and being a part of this resurrected life in and through Jesus. And so for those of us that are practicing Lent, uh, oftentimes it's a practice of removing something from our lives that may be distracting us uh, or adding something in our lives to bring us closer uh, to this preparation to experience the fullness of Christ's resurrection. Uh, and so this morning we talk about seasons again in Luke chapter 4. Excuse me. Last week we talked about um, the temptations of Jesus and, and how those temptations of Jesus was really a temptation uh, of his identity. And oftentimes we as well go through this season of temptation of questioning our own identity. Perhaps this is in the form of doubt, uh, uh, of anxiety, uh, of, of you know, self Whatever it is, we go through a little bit of doubt in our own lives whether God is A for real, whether God has gifted us, whether God has uh, for us or not. Those doubts enter into our lives really like the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. And this week, as we continue on chapter 4, there's something unique about the experience of, Christ, of Jesus in the wilderness that I believe speaks to all of us this morning. And I don't know about you, but maybe many of us have been through or in, or in this precise moment going through what, what maybe many people would call the wilderness. And if you think about the wilderness, if you think about Jesus and his time in the wilderness while fasting, while hungry, while broken, uh, maybe this idea of wilderness resonates with where you're at in life right now. Well, when I think of wilderness, I think of being lost. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I think of darkness, and for whatever reason, I think of confusion and chaos and, and maybe some panic. And, and I don't know why uh, for you, but I know that I've experienced a season of wilderness in my life many, many times. And, you know, and I think of many times uh, even just watching the news, not just us individually, but collectively, there's a sense of wilderness you know, I continue to pray for the lives that were lost in the plane crash in Ethiopia or the Ethiopian Airlines. We continue to mourn our friends that are grieving that happened in New Zealand. There are seasons of wilderness that we get to participate in as well. <clears throat> our dear friend, my dear friend Tara is here. She's uh, through the season of Lent. Each week we'll be painting something, a reflection that's on her heart uh, through this season, and you can see uh, her painting of last, week, uh, of last weekend, one from last year at Lent. 
And these are paintings she does that she's doing, uh, that she begins at the beginning of service and it ends at the beginning of ser- uh, service through a, a, a sense of inspiration. And, and so uh, we, we then sell this, uh, and you can talk to Tara about uh, that, and 100% of the proceeds goes to our friend Amy, who is in Lebanon, teaching uh, Syrian refugee children. Because we get to collectively be, be a part and participate in our own wilderness. And we see and enter into the wilderness with others. And so let me just pray real quick and we'll unpack this. God, thank you so much that even in our seasons of wilderness, of loss, of confusion that you've given us your spirit to be strong, to remember the truth. And may you use this season of wilderness for many of us, all of us, to teach us, to grow us, and to transform us with hope. In your name we pray. <coughs> Amen. So this week, uh, like many of you, uh, I started listening to a particular podcast. Raise your hand if you listen to podcasts. Okay, it's kind of like the cool thing to do these days is to listen to podcasts over music, and I know that's, that's a story for, for myself. And, and there's a particular podcast that I love listening to. He's a chef, okay? There's something about, okay, someone said, Prentice, every time you open up, it's either about CrossFit, food, uh, or your family of some sort, and so I guess this is about food. But uh, there's a great podcast. His, his, his she, this chef, his name is David Chang from New York City. Uh, if you're into the food culture, he opened up this uh, restaurant many years ago called Momofuku. Uh, if you're ever in New York, please try it. Uh, he's not paying me to say that, by the way. Uh, he doesn't know that I exist. So uh, I listened to his podcast, and it's an amazing podcast because it's not just him as a chef, uh, but it's him just interviewing people, yes, other chefs, but talking about cultures and life through the vehicle uh, of food. And in this one episode, actually a recent episode, uh, it's with a colleague chef, Chef Joe, uh, who, who, who David Chang commissioned her as an executive chef to open up another David Chang famous restaurant uh, in New York City. And, and so it was a conversation between these two and their experience in opening up this new restaurant. Uh, and you can imagine uh, this new chef, uh, her name is Chef Joe Park, no relationship to me. Uh, but but she, you can imagine uh, the pressure being under the tutelage of David Chang to open up this restaurant. She's never been a, a, an executive, a head chef before. And they're talking about this experience of so much pressure and, and yet excitement, but also like, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and so they were talking about together this experience where they had this pre-opening meeting with all the staff, including David Chang, where she prepped <coughs> many of the meals that were going to be on the menu. <coughs> Excuse me. And so she lays out all these foods, uh, and really it was, it was a lot of it was supposed to be inspired by, like, comfort Korean food, okay? So Korean food nowadays has become very popular. Uh, when I used to bring Korean food to lunch as a second grader, I would get made fun of. Uh, but now it's, like, a super popular thing. Uh, and, and actually, I love it. I love that. And so they were talking about um, the food, and they were eating the food, and David Chang, while she was on the show, was retelling his experience where he said, the food was so bad 
that he ordered pizza for the whole staff that night. And she was saying that that was the most painful and the most traumatizing experience she's ever experienced as a chef, as a human being in general. And later on, Chef David Chang goes up to Chef Joe and says, says this, your food tasted like, your food tasted like, like and, and many of us we can kind of fill in the blank right like your food tasted like whatever word that you may put or may think of but he said this your food tasted like fear your food tasted like fear well, what he was saying is you held back in your commissioning, in your call to be a chef, to serve this comfort-style food for people to feel like they're at home, that their mom is cooking, that their dad is cooking, whatever it is, and, and you have failed to do that from, from fear. Your food tasted like fear, and that's a bad bad thing, and we have two weeks to open up, and again, he was very disappointed, had a conversation with her, and she was just explaining that was the most darkest and the most terrifying and terrible time that she's ever had as a chef, and yet, that's exactly what she needed. She said that was a very hard experience, that was the worst day of her life as a chef. In fact, she said, After that night, she almost quit her job. Then it says, yet it was precisely the very thing she needed. Only to create dishes and that would reconnect people back to their childhood, to bring comfort in her cooking, to bring love through her craft. After that season of of hardship, of pain, of just reevaluating her entire calling because of that hard conversation she had with her boss ultimately, led her to create something born beautiful. The tragedy that she would call turned into a treasure that, again, she would call. She went from tragedy to treasure. She went from pain and darkness to light and joy. She went from hardship to confusion. I don't know what I'm going to do to creating something so beautiful that connected other people to love and to joy and to their own childhood. It worked. And the only way it worked and and the only reason it worked, and this was Chef Joe saying herself, is because she went through this season of hurt. Of trauma, of pain. And I think about that story and I think about my own life and our own life collectively. Again, are you going through a season of of fire? Or or for a better word, in our sake, are you going through a season of wilderness like this chef did? She went through weeks of confusion, of wilderness, of darkness, of am I doing what I'm supposed to do? How, what am I supposed to do with the words that my boss has given me? And, and yet, again, she would say it was precisely that, and because of that, and only because of that, she was able to use that for her own growth and her own transformation to, to provide beauty and deliciousness to the world. Are you going through a season of wilderness? Maybe in your marriage, in your relationship, in your friendships, at work, a sense of dryness? 
Maybe even in your own identity and confusion of calling of what am I supposed to do? Maybe you are also in this wilderness. I don't know what it is, but my bet is that many of us sitting today is going through a sense of wilderness as if we're closing our eyes right now and we just don't know what to do and we don't know where we're at. If you're anything like me, you've experienced this before or right now. And what Luke is saying in chapter 4 is is this. It's through those very moments. And it's through those very moments that God moves. (coughs) And that God does something. So the first half of Luke chapter 4 was Jesus being tempted in the wilderness uh, regarding his ministry, his calling, his identity. And in the second uh, half of Luke chapter 4, Jesus, through the wilderness, uh, experiences this. He says this. He says, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So Jesus went back to his hometown. And remember, this is all in the backdrop of his baptism. Okay, we can't disconnect what he's going through through this baptism, through the wilderness, through, being tempt, uh, through his temptations, and then now this. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, and he goes to it, and we'll go over this in a second, but what I want to point out is, after his temptation, after he survived that, after he won the victory of those temptations, it says he went back to his hometown and, as was custom, went to teach out of the scroll. What we see is this is the first time that the biblical account shows and shares of his, of his calling as a rabbi, as a teacher, really as a savior to the world. He finally comes out as his role, what he's supposed to do. This is his first instance of him in his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 19, he makes it a point to say Jesus went back to his hometown, as his custom, to teach, to enter into his commissioning that he received at his baptism, that he would be a light to the world, particularly to those that are lost, and the, to the Gentiles, to the Jews. And I love that Luke points out particularly that as was custom on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. Essentially, uh, subtext in our common language, he went to church. Uh, And and there's this man named Josephus, who's an ancient Jewish historian, uh, who writes that the ancient custom uh, was that there was a weekly practice in the synagogue or at the church where they would sing from the Psalms. They would learn uh, from their Bible, the, for lack of a better word, the Old Testament, what the Jews would call the Tanakh. Uh, they would learn from the Shema. And there was a time of community and practice every single week on a, for their Sabbath on a Saturday. And, and in <clears throat> this context, we see that Jesus is living into his calling. And that Jesus pulls out the, the scroll and he reads this. Uh, he says, 
He says, from the scroll, he reads and teaches, and, and it doesn't say this in our Bible, but this is from Isaiah chapter 61. It does say it from Isaiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what the Jews have read and been taught and have been listened to for centuries and centuries out of the words of Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus comes again after and in the context of his baptism and his temptation. And finally, in and through that, he's able to live out his calling to say that I have come. Essentially to say that I, I'm here to proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and sight to the blind. And the beauty of this is if we connect the, the, the baptism, the temptation to Jesus' uh, his ministry, his, Jesus' ministry came to fruition. He was able to live up to the way that God has called him to be the Savior of the world because, and precisely because, he went through this season of wilderness. And we can't miss this. Jesus teaches here for the first time from the scriptures, to the Jews, and not just to any Jews, but to the higher-ups. Today's comparison to the pastors, to the theologians, to the elders. And in verse 20, uh, it says, then he rolled up the scroll. So after Jesus taught at church, or aka the synagogue, as was custom, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today the scripture is fulfilled as you hear this. Basically what he's saying is, remember the, the scroll that we read from Isaiah chapter 61. These words of this Savior coming that's going to bring sight to the blind, who's going to set the captives free, who's going to bring good news to the poor. The, the Savior, this Messiah that we've all talked about, that we've all learned about, that we've all heard about. Jesus steps up and says, today that has been fulfilled, today that is me. And I love Jesus' audacity to step up and live into his calling, into his commissioning. Again, from what? From his baptism, uh, tested through the temptation that made it stronger, uh, into his calling. And again, we cannot remove this. We cannot, we cannot remove what just happened here from, from Jesus' baptism, from Jesus' temptations. <clears throat> from his experience in the wilderness. Now, there's something about wilderness that God uses to shape us, to teach us, to mold us, to prepare us. And even in the season of Lent, it's about preparing us to receive and to live into the resurrection of Jesus. There's something about this wilderness we can see it even from the very <coughs> beginning of time, from even the Old Testament. Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, became king. Moses, who was lost for 40 years and 40 nights, led the people to the promised land. Paul, who was blind, now could see and now leading the Gentiles to faith. King David, who had his own <laughs> issues, 
who was hunted down and, and, and wanted to be killed by Saul, he went through his own wilderness only to become king. Job in the Old Testament tested with his family killed, with all this famine happening in his life, only to be blessed. Jesus, again, in his temptation and his loss and his wilderness experience, led him to be the savior of the world. There's something about wilderness that is so sacred, that is so holy. Because in those moments, God works and God does something to prepare us for whatever that might be next. And the hardest part, especially today, is that any of us going through this wilderness, is we want to move through that. We want to move through it. We want to be done with this and get to the, the happily ever after, the, the, the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and God is asking us to be faithful in these moments of wilderness. And Jesus was tempted to be unfaithful in his time in the wilderness. Jesus embodies and exemplifies what it means to be faithful, even though we may not know what that next step might be, that we know what right now step would be, should be, can be, and it's simply to be faithful. And we see and we've realized that there are moments in our lives where we can look back, and, and I think we can all do this, and I know that I can do this, where we look back and we can honestly say that had this not have happened, insert terrible season of heartache, had this not happened, then this I would have never experienced. Insert amazing season of growth. Right? Have we, can we, I mean, if we think about, you know, because hindsight is 2020, uh, and, and maybe some of us have experienced this sense of hindsight where we can say to ourselves truly, truly, that had this insert a dark and painful season of our lives never have happened, then that I would have never experienced. Insert growth and transformation and hope in something that we have learned about ourselves, about others, about God. See, what people don't know is that there's something about tragedy that God uses to turn into treasure. <clears throat> and I think we've all experienced that in our own lives in the past. And I remember uh, when I was in college and going to, you know, studying theology and, and then going on to seminary to, to get my Master's of Divinity or Theology I don't share this story a lot uh, because there's actually some shame around it. But I was studying to be a teacher. So when I went to seminary, I never went with the intentions of being a pastor. When I went to seminary, I uh, was fully intended to then move on to get my Ph.D. Uh, and I had it all planned out. I was going to go to this particular uh, college uh, for uh, seminary to get my Master of Divinity, and, and, I, and I went there, and I loved it, and I ha had it all planned out. Then I'm going to go to this school uh, for my PhD, and I even knew what program. It was going to be uh, Second Temple Judaism, and I was like, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to teach that, and I already picked out my school. I applied to only one school. Uh, it's a school that hopefully uh, 
will win the uh, NCAA uh, tournament. Uh, ironically, they're the, they're the Blue Devils, okay? And, and so <clears throat> I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get my PhD there, and then I'm going to teach theology and seminary at a collegiate level, and that's it. That is my pathway to my future. Uh, and when I was in seminary, uh, I became a youth pastor because that's just what all seminarians do. We just become youth pastors. And many of us, it's not because we want to be forever youth pastors, although I love my experience. But it was just something that I did uh, in order to uh, move forward in my pathway. I remember working hard. I remember focusing on my, especially my New Testament, intertestament multiple period of time. Like I remember these uh, studies that I did to focus on this pathway. I applied I was excited because I felt like I had all the merits that I needed to get in. And then I get this letter saying that, unfortunately, I didn't get in. Uh, Unfortunately, that uh, though I may have thought I was going to pursue this degree uh, at this university in order for me to teach and be a professor, which I've always wanted to do, unfortunately, that dream has then crashed. And I remember being so confused and so even angry because I thought, God, I thought your calling for me was to become a professor and to teach theology to seminarians, to, to theologians, to, you know, other pastors. And yet, here I am kind of confused on what my next step is. And so, naturally, I stayed in ministry uh, and I became a pastor. And, and I became a youth pastor and I went to different churches Uh, and became associate pastor, and here I am as lead pastor. And I look at that experience, and I say, if it wasn't for that rejection that I felt, if it wasn't for my dreams just crashing in, because remember, I had all my eggs in one basket. I knew exactly what my future was going to hold, and all of a sudden, in one opening of a letter, everything exploded, everything changed, and now here I am at a completely different pathway than I thought. And though challenging and though difficult it is, I couldn't imagine myself in a different role. I couldn't even imagine myself being a professor at this moment in my life. And I look back again in hindsight to say, if it wasn't for that dark wilderness experience of confusion, of saying, God, what am I supposed to do now? I had my pathway all paved out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. It didn't happen. I was in this sense of wilderness, and there's something in there where I really felt like God was preparing me to be here today, to be here right now in this role. There was that season of wilderness that taught me to grow, to be patient, to be humble, and to just listen to what God might be doing in that moment. And the worst part of listening to God is that sometimes and many times, if you're anything like me, we don't hear anything. We hear pastors saying all the time, just just listen, just hear for God's voice. And, and, And I'll be honest with you, and I don't know if this is... Uh, heretical or not, but I personally have never heard God's audible voice. Now, I'm not saying if you've heard God's audible voice that you're imagining things, that something's wrong. More power to you. In fact, I envy that kind of hearing and listening, and I wish I had that. But for me, I've never really 
had that. And maybe many of you can resonate with me where we feel like we're supposed to listen and just pray and just hear what God might, what God might have to say because if we can actually hear an audible voice saying, uh, Prentice, you should do this, or Prentice, you didn't get into this school because I'm going to have you become a pastor and you're going to be happy and that settles it, then I would feel more comfortable, right? Cause, cause, because knowing, even though it's not something I wanted, it's still better news, it's still good news, uh, and it's still comforting than no news at all. Because we're very, very uncomfortable with silence. And we even make up our own stories in our own heads uh, of how it's going to end, whether it's good or even bad, because even a bad ending is better than an uncertain ending. Isn't that true for a lot of us? A bad, and, and so we start catastrophizing things, like, what am I going to do? Nothing's going to go right. I, you know, my life is over. Whatever it is. And that's kind of what I was going through because I could not audibly hear from God. And what I've learned through that season of wilderness is that even if you can't hear from God, even if you don't feel like God is speaking to you, there's a sense of faith that grounds us. That though we may not hear, though God might be silent, that God is still working in our lives and we can trust that. That we can trust that. In verse 22, uh, after Jesus speaks and teaches through through the scroll of Isaiah uh, 61, in verse 22, there was a sudden change. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And then someone says, uh, you can imagine this from a crowd, someone says, hey, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So he's teaching. And you can kind of hear the peanut gallery. Someone said, hey, hey, isn't that Joseph's son? And Jesus responds, and in the very next verse it says, uh, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so there's, you know, Jesus is teaching and Jesus is saying, here's my mission, here's my calling, here's what I'm called to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm living into my identity because it's been affirmed in my baptism. It was strengthened in, my, in the temptations. And in the wilderness, God was preparing me, the Father was preparing me to be Messiah. And though the crowd, everyone might have been like impressed and yes, yes, yes. Someone from the peanut gallery said, hey, isn't that Joseph's son? Meaning, hey, you're not God. You're a normal person <coughs> who's in the family of Joseph, a, a, a very humble family uh, that is not necessarily divine. So isn't that Joseph's son? And, and Jesus' response says, aha, I knew someone would doubt. Uh, I knew that someone would doubt uh, my divinity, my calling, how God is, has equipped me to be. That's just Joseph's son. Hey, everybody, why are you freaking out? Why are you so impressed? Hey, that's just another normal human being. That is just Joseph's son from down the street. We all know him. Calm down, everybody. And, and Jesus' response, and Jesus knew that. And he says, you know what? I, I, I knew you were going to test me. I knew what you were going to say. I knew you were going to doubt what I can do and who I am. 
And, and I look at that story, and it's like, how many times have we been the person from the peanut gallery? How many times have we been the person saying, hey, isn't that just Joseph's son? And maybe not in those exact words, but maybe in the words where, God, are you really going to do something? God, are, are, are you even for me? Do you love me? Are you here for me as you have promised? Because here I am in the wilderness, not knowing what that next step is, and I'm supposed to trust you? God, where are you? Aren't you just Joseph's son? And many of us, we've experienced that kind of doubt in the wilderness, and we question whether God is for us whether God is even there with us. And I love all throughout chapter 4, three times, three times, just in this one chapter, the chapter talks about, the, Luke, the writer, talks about how the Spirit was upon Jesus. How the Spirit was upon Jesus. And let's not miss that part. That Jesus, in his temptations, uh, he was baptized and says the Spirit was upon him. And it was because of the Spirit he was able to endure the temptations. It was because of the Spirit in him that he was able to with, with, uh, go through the, the wilderness. It was because of the Spirit he was able to be patient and make no mistakes and allow God to do what God needed to do in and through him, not just even at the temptations, but even at the cross. Or even at the cross, uh, Jesus, without even knowing what might happen, although he knew his calling and his mission, he said this, he says, God, take this cup from me. Do I really have to die, ultimately, aka, do I really have to die on the cross, this painful death? Will you, will you make another way? And then he says, but if this is your will, May it be so. Because the Spirit gave him strength. The Spirit gave him the will. The Spirit says gave him the power to survive the wilderness. <coughs> and the encouragement to all of us, we find in John chapter 14, verse 26, says this. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things that will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit It's God's gift to us. The Spirit, uh, uh, the Spirit, the same Spirit that was in Jesus, that gave him strength to, to go through the wilderness, that same Spirit, it says, that God gives to us. And we don't talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, enough in the church. Maybe some churches do, but I know that oftentimes we fail to do so. <clears throat> because it's this abstract, I can't see again, because what we can't see, we feel uncomfortable with. But the promise in the scripture says this, that we followers, especially followers of Jesus, we are empowered with the Holy Spirit, 
with strength to go through and to be strengthened, to be transformed even in the wilderness. And it says, so therefore do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because the Spirit of God is with you. Do not fear. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of fear cannot coexist. And so may we experience through the Holy Spirit in this wilderness what God has for us on the other side. Because like that even sh- that chef said, it's precisely because of this moment and this experience of wilderness that I was able to live into my calling. And may we emulate that by saying that even in the season of wilderness, whatever that might be, that even in the season of wilderness, even if we don't know the future, that the Holy Spirit is in us. That is the greatest gift that God has given us, is the Holy Spirit uh, to, to live until Christ returns again. And for many of us, we need to be reminded of that. And as I invite the worship team back up, maybe we can take this chance to uh, just name it. What is the season that we're in? And in this season of wilderness that you might be in, or that maybe somebody else might be in, that you can join collectively, saying the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is within you. This wonderful counselor, this comforter, this gift that God gives to us resides within us so that we may not live in fear, but we may live in hopeful anticipation because we know and we've been convinced that in this season of wilderness that God is doing something. Whether we see it or not, God is doing something. And and the joy and the hope is we can even say, even though we may not know the ending, that we can look back and say, ah, it's because of this season of wilderness I was able to, I am able to do this season of joy and transformation. That we can say, this is only possible, that this world uh, of joy and transformation and hope and healing, this was only made possible because this happened. And I had to endure this. I love this story, and I'll end with this, is that in the Old Testament, when there was a promise uh, of a better life, a better future, from slavery to the promised land, from Egypt to Canaan, Moses led the people. And, and, And theologians and scholars say, you know what, if they had a straight pathway from Egypt to Canaan, it would have taken no more than a couple months, eight to ten weeks. That's it. Straight ahead. And yet if you're familiar with the biblical account, instead of taking just a couple months from going from point A to point B, from slavery uh, to freedom, uh, to darkness to light, from, from pain to joy, it could have just taken one trip, ten, ten weeks. That's it. Yet it took 40 years, it says, of wandering in the wilderness, a confusion of darkness, 40 years from an eight-week trip. And what later, what we find out is had they gone through from point A to point B, they would have all been killed. 
they would have all been killed because of the various military posts that were set up from Pharaoh, the Egyptian. <clears throat> had they gone the route that they think they should have gone on, had they gone on the route that was the quickest, the fastest, the easiest, they would have been wiped out. They would have all been killed. But God was preparing them, doing something within them in the season of wilderness. And I just want to say to you, whatever wilderness that you've been through, whatever wilderness you're going through, whatever wilderness you will go through, because you will, the Spirit of God is with you. And the Spirit of God is working in you. And the Spirit of God makes it possible that because of your wilderness experience, this or that will happen. That's the good news of Jesus. <laughs> because if there was death, there's a resurrection. That's what Easter is all about. Resurrection can only happen because of Easter. Easter can only happen because of Good Friday. Good Friday can only happen because of Easter. There's life. There's joy on the other side of death, of fear, of wilderness. Let's cling on to that hope. Let's pray. God, thank you. <clears throat> and I even thank you in advance, whether uh, my friends here can say it out loud or not, I thank you for the wilderness that they're in. And there are moments where we can't thank you for that. And you understand. But me, as people that love, as a person that loves them, I thank you in advance for their wilderness that they're in because I'm confident and I trust and I know that you, through the Holy Spirit, is working in their lives to prepare them for what's next. And so, God, may we be faithful in that place of wilderness. May we be obedient, even in the dark where we don't see you or hear you, because we know that you're preparing us for something. Prepare us well. May we respond in worship, even in the waiting, even in the waiting. In your name we pray. Amen.